there. You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast, recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas, with co-lead pastors Courtney Clark and Megan Lawton. Enjoy the sermon. Anyway, I'm always very happy when I get to come up here. And um, uh, today was the first first day I felt like this sickness in my stomach about what's happening. I function a lot on denial, and I am not yet willing to give up that coping skill. But um, that that things are shifting here at Collective, and um, but more than anything, I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of um, fellowship with you guys since the very beginning, you know? I mean, what random outsider just gets to come every once in a while to hang out, and then you became family. Look at that. So um, anyway, we could talk more about that. We have a couple weeks to talk about that, so. But um, the text we are looking at today is, is from Philippians 4, and Paul, especially in the beginning of his ministry, was really a little harsh and, and too directive about things, you know, forcing the Corinthians to take up an offering to support him. And so when the Corinthians are like, you're not really for us, you know, he tries to backtrack. I mean, I mean, if you want to, it's fine, you know. And so as, as he's kind of nearing the end or he's been doing this for a while, we get to read his words to the Church of Philippi and um, this particular chapter is his final exhortation. You know, this is what I want to leave you with, like if you hear anything. Um, and I don't normally pick a text that starts with a directive like rejoice. And I think it's because maybe growing up in a tradition where it felt like there was a lot of false positivity, I needed to get to a point where expressing raw emotion that might not have been as positive um, was more accessible, so I had to practice sitting in darker spaces and realizing that that's a place in which God can meet me. Um, and so recently I've related a lot more to the psalmists who are like, do you even care, God? Why have you left me here to die? Why don't you take my enemies and destroy them like the turds they are, you know? <laughs> and um, But uh, I actually asked a friend of mine to um, in light of things she'd been experiencing in her life to pick out the, our text for the week. And so she said Philippians 4. So um, I'm excited to see what God has for us. And as always, ask that we approach the text in our time together with open hands and open ears and hearts. I, I trust that the Creator is um, alive and continuing to create, therefore can speak to us new things today. So we say together that, that we are open. Give us eyes to see God and ears to hear. May you tune our hearts to your voice. So as Paul is saying this last word and really thanking the Philippians because they have been the church that's been like, you know, kind of the star church. Like they're pretty healthy. There's a couple bickering between some people, but overall they um, appear to be healthy um, and they have been supportive of Paul his entire time. But we get to this point where it seems a little stream of consciousness, you know, kind of throwing out, okay, yeah, and make sure that you do this, and you're always giving thanks, and um, just remember to rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Um, this is where probably one of the most famous verses. Have you ever seen Philippians 4.13 on a t-shirt or on a, a pillow or maybe you have it in your house with um, a bald eagle flying behind it, you know, <laughs> something like that. Your grandmother knitted you a sweater and it's on there. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength, right? And so when we have a familiar verse, we tend to assume we understand it. And yet the amazing thing about the word of God is that if it is living and we continue to live, then it means that as we run the word of God over our lives, we can see where there's electricity, where sparks fly, and it's going to look different at different times. That does not mean that this is an instruction manual. It does mean that there is a God who is alive and still speaking to us. And that is the source of our hope, right? So there's this word that Paul gives, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I'm looking at your version. So don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, which goes beyond anything that you could understand, any way that you could logically analyze. The peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's many other great nuggets in here, but I just wanted to start at that point. Because I think one of the things that, and you know, some of, some of uh, you have talked with me about this idea of rejoicing and how in a vacuum it can feel very inauthentic or almost kind of like you're not allowed to feel a sort of sadness or stress. Maybe the, the message of too blessed to be stressed, you know, um, comes to mind. And, and maybe that has been uh, an interpretation that you grew up with. But the reality is that these words are spoken because of the heaviness of certain situations. So when Paul is saying, don't be anxious, but instead, in every situation by prayer, and petition, present your request to God, it's because anxiety is a reality. And so it's not that the feeling of anxiety or fear or stress are being criticized. It's kind of just calling it what it is. Like this exists, you know, because, you know, at this point, the Philippians are, as far as we know, not in a bad situation are in a pretty healthy situation, especially as far as their community of faith. And yet there's this word that he gives them, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So not speaking to them being like, I know your house just caught on fire and like everyone around you is dead. And that's why I'm saying don't be anxious. But just in general, anxiety is a part of what it means to be alive and breathing, right? And so this is not an indictment on a feeling that we have or a, a visceral reaction to the things in our lives. And it's not a call to not respond in a quote negative way because feelings are not negative or positive, they are, right? They're neutral, they are. It's, it's what we do with them. So what I love about this text is that it's not a call not to experience the anxiety but not to practice anxiety. So if we were to change it more to the active verb, we would say, the Lord is near. Don't practice anxiety about things, but in every situation, 
practicing prayer, practicing asking, practicing thanksgiving, practice presenting your request to God. So there's a difference between that, that feeling that comes in, you know, where you're experiencing, um, I think about the feeling of being overwhelmed or afraid or dread, what it is. And uh, maybe in the past, I've allowed myself to practice that. What are some of the ways that we practice anxiety? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. What? What is that? What is doom scrolling? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, like, dear heavens. Oh. Continuously. Yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. Kind of obsessively checking all the bad things yep. going on. Sure. Yeah. Doom scrolling. Yeah. I did not coin that term. That's like a dark hole. You know, like it, yeah. you know. It's a hole. It's a hole. Yeah. It, uh, and there's no. There's a whole discussion around that hole. So yeah. You go down there and there's no coming back. I know there's, there's kind <laughs> of the balance between. So I. Um, I'm an eternal optimist, and so that's one of my things I have to work on is looking reality in the face for what it is. And so if I see a newspaper headline, that's the only way it's going to happen because I will not look at it on my phone. I see a newspaper headline at the gas station, and I'm like, and I saw teen migrant bodies return to, and, you know, I just am like, oh, gosh, the, what is it? What does our life even matter? Like, what is, you know, and I, I go to that place really quickly. So doom scrolling. What's another way we practice anxiety? Ruminating on something and just continuing without thinking about a solution or trying to find support. Yes. So allowing myself to just obsessively get caught in that spiral. The ruminating is a really good word. You know, ruminating on that and instead of looking for a way out, almost kind of like setting up shop there. You know, we, we have the spiral staircase, <laughs> like instead of saying, okay, okay, I'm here right now and I need someone to help me walk out of the staircase. I'm like, I think I'm going to put some curtains there and a little family pick over here. We're setting up shop, you know, in that place. Yeah, I think you're right. But there's things that we do to practice anxiety and we may not even realize it. It may be that we feel as if we have no choice, you know. I mean, are we really stuck? Do we really have to stay in a place of worry. And that is separate from if we have, um, you know, regarding mental health, and that's why I always want to be careful in talking about this, this kind of stuff, like the practice <laughs> that we can do, what is it that we can do? I might not be able to stop myself from experiencing anxiety. And as someone who has mental health issues, I understand that there are things I can do and things I can't. But there are things that I have practiced for so long that I have thought I no longer have a choice to ask for help, to stop um, ruminating. And, and really, a lot of it is recognizing where I am. So there's not just this word of don't be anxious about anything. It's more of what we do then in that place. So when the reality of life happens, what are we practicing? What is it that we are allowing our eyes to focus on? Um, what is it I'm looking to? So there, there seem to be two different ways we go. We either go the, the dark, doom-scrolling way, you know, or because um, we don't want to be falsely positive, you know, that's not what it means to, to know God. Or we go the very positive way where rejoicing means there's not a negative emotion that we experience. And if you're having a negative feeling, Byron, it's probably because you're not really spiritual. And, um, and, and so both of them are that, are, are missing part of the picture. 
That's the whole thing that the gospel offers is an alternative. That there is a denial of pain or a drowning in pain. And then there's the gospel, which says pain is real. Hope is more real. <laughs> hope is realer which is now a word. So two realities, the reality of what you're experiencing right now and the deeper reality, what's going on behind the scenes. The reality of I fell down and um, hurt myself, but the reality that my life is not destroyed, okay? So where without the gospel, loss could be absolutely devastating and irreparable. With the gospel, the, the loss I experienced, whether to my reputation or to my sense of self or um, what it means to have joy in the world, may not have the last word. You know, that there's always another end to the story, even if it's not restoration in the way that I want there to be. So that means that for us, we cannot just hold on to hope without the real you know, presence of pain. So I, I think I might have mentioned this to you guys before, but um, in my work studying chemical addiction, the people who are most likely to be successful, they've uh, made a, um, William White has made a matrix. And so it's the hope and pain matrix. So basically, if you have high hope and low pain, then the chances of you recovering and having long-term sobriety are pretty low because you haven't necessarily experienced uh, enough to motivate you beyond like, I am excited and it can be a little bit empty. But if you have high pain and low hope, there's also not a big chance of long-term sobriety. It's when people have high hope and high pain that they're able to achieve long-term sobriety. So there, and that doesn't mean you have to experience a lot of pain in order to have hope. It does mean that the more I can be aware of both in existence, am I investing my time in being aware of my pain but not aware of my hope, right? Or am I investing my time being aware of my hope and not aware of my pain? And it's gonna be different on different days. Sometimes we get stuck going through the routine. So I realized that one of the ways that I practice anxiety or that I don't practice rejoicing in Thanksgiving is I check out and I just go through the motions of my life. And so I'm not practicing bringing my, my requests in my life and my petitions to God. I am instead just practicing shutting off. So maybe it's not that, that Paul needs to say, don't practice anxiety, but don't practice numbing out. Don't practice disconnection. Don't practice isolation from other people. Don't practice things which take you away from the hope and keep you from experiencing the peace of God that transcends all understanding. We're always practicing something, right? And it's not a, just don't do this. It's a, and here's what we can do instead. It's the, it's the alternative. So Paul says in another letter, do not grieve as the Gentiles grieve, but when you grieve, you know? So it's not just don't grieve, don't be sad because JC rose from the dead, so there's no reason to be sad about things anymore. And death, yeah, I mean, maybe they're not there, but they're in heaven, so God has a new rose in his garden. Or, you know, these things that are just so sickeningly false because they don't answer the real pain. That's why Jesus matters, is Jesus speaks to the real pain of our lives and of our world. 
It wasn't that we needed a Band-Aid. It's that the world is very, very broken, and we need to know that there's something going on more than what we can see. So grief, being real, and the hope, restoration, healing, and love, being real, does not mean we don't grieve. It means that as we grieve, we also are keeping in mind this hope. And as we are scared, we're also keeping in mind this hope. We realize that there is a macro story in which our micro story exists. One of the things that's most difficult for me as someone who is, you know, only, you know, only in the last 10 years been practicing authenticity is, is when someone's like, well, other people have it worse, right? And there's a lot of reasons that, that people might say that. However, it, it's interesting because somebody else having it worse doesn't mean that it's not hurting me, right? And I think it's an attempt to get some kind of rejoicing or some kind of perspective, but it's going about it in an interesting way. So uh, my, my friend who happens to be a, a Pauline scholar and has written 27 books, I, I was like, hey, can we talk about Philippians 4 this morning? And he says, literally just published his 27th book on Paul. He says to me, well, I don't really know much about that passage, but I'd love to learn from you. <laughs> and you know, I'm kind of wondering if he says that just so he can get out of you know, teaching and stuff like that. <laughs> He's like, maybe no one will ask me questions if they don't see my bookshelf with my name on it. So anyway, and, and he was a lot more gracious about the too blessed to be stressed, where I'm always like, why do people say that? You know, you can be blessed and stressed. And identified that maybe it is that we're trying to come uh, with this idea of hope, remembering that we do have a reason to continue to move forward, that we do have a reason to continue to love, that despite what's happening in the world that we see in the news, there is impact that happens when we choose to love. Like it does change things. And maybe it's just an attempt to go about that same hope. Okay, but going about it in a way that is real and actually results in transformation and the peace that transcends all understanding means that I acknowledge both. Means that I'm willing to look my pain in the face, but I'm also practicing hope. So the things that we're told to practice, go ahead and look at, um, look at verse six. What are the things we're supposed to practice? Okay, prayer and petition. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yeah. Giving it to God. Yeah, presenting our requests to God, right? Which means that we have requests, which means that we have asks of God, right? So this is um, important for us to remember that we have needs that and that there is a place for those needs. Another, another important thing is the acknowledgement of our needs. So what I'm understanding then is it's important to know the, the pain I experience. It's important for me to acknowledge the fear that I experience or my concerns, my, my anxiety. I think that's probably a, a better word is uh, my concerns and worry here. And it's important for me to acknowledge the things that I need or want because sometimes we don't know the difference. It doesn't say 
the things you need, as in food, water, shelter, it says your requests. So we don't have to parse out what we actually need or which, which is in the want category, the need category. We just get to present our requests. It is not about you cleaning things up and coming to God and saying, I know it's okay for me to ask for this, but not for this. It is, it is this training of where we go when we experience any kind of longing or need or fear or an anxious moment. We are relearning how to respond to the things that happen within us and outside of us. When I am afraid, when I am stressed, when I am concerned, going to God, if we take out the, the, the way in which it's done, the thanksgiving and the prayer and the petition and the re request, it's going to God. It's going into that space. It's, it's inviting God into those deeper places of ourselves because we all have things we do and places we go as soon as we have a stress, a concern, a moment, a sense of pain and anxiety. And I wonder how many of us are aware of where we go. So it's not that it's a command to rejoice. It's an awareness of what do I do and where do I turn when there's a slight in my life, when things are off, when I'm feeling um, in, a, in a way that, that doesn't line up with how I want to feel, when people are not doing what I rightly know they should be doing or doing it in the way that they should be. Or when the world is falling apart, where do I go? Because if I'm in the presence of God, then it means that I don't have to work on looking at my pain and hope. That's what happens as I'm in the presence of God, right? It's not that I'm consciously having to make the effort to think about my pain or you know, practice rejoicing. It's that as I begin to practice bringing everything in my life to God, opening it up, then I experience the hope and the pain and the peace. Notice that the peace that transcends understanding, that goes beyond any of our logical limits, the peace of God is the result of that communion and that place with God. I'm not going after the peace. I'm living in the relationship. I'm not trying to get myself to a healthy place with a healthy perspective. I'm allowing the God of peace to take me where I can't go. I might not be able to move myself out of anxiety but there is a God who is for me and can be with me in that place, right? It is never about fixing ourselves. The hope, there is no hope in the fact that we can fix ourselves. And if we can fix ourselves, to be honest, I don't know why we're here. Why are we here if we, if we can fix ourselves? If I can clean myself up and ask God for the right things I'm supposed to ask and use the right language and have the right attitude, then, then I don't need God. But because I have these feelings and, and these situations and the ways in which I want these situations solved, which are not usually holy, then it means I have to learn where to go, not how to fix, but how to invite, not how to achieve. 
So we're changing then our direction. You know, we talked about how repent is going in a different direction. And it's the same with our requests. Presenting our requests to whom? To God. It seems like, duh, right? But seriously, where are you presenting your requests? Are you putting your requests on other people to fix? I need you to act how I need you to act so that I don't lose my mind, <laughs> you know? Um, or can you please make me look good in public? Which my kids are like, no and never. That's the answer to that. But <laughs> am I presenting my request to myself and just trying harder on things, you know? If I could be more perfect, then, then things would be fixed. How am I pursuing peace right now? If things were going my way, there's somewhere, does that make sense? There's somewhere we're taking our request. There's somewhere that we are practicing um, our stress. But there's some, something or somewhere, whether it's a substance or a compulsive behavior or a person or pressure or codependency or passive aggression, we are always presenting our requests, even if it's through denial, bearing it deeply and pretending I don't need help. The other problem with thinking it's just about not being anxious is that there's a performative element to it. It's about how we act instead of how things are, right? So what I, I think some, there's a tendency to say um, with Paul's words or any of the things that Jesus tells us about mourning and grief and joy and hope is act like you're not anxious. Act like you're not mourning. So do not grieve like the Gentiles. There's a couple aspects. There's the internal one, which means that we are overcome and loss is loss and death is the end. Death is death is death and that's it. It's very devastating because there's nothing after. Um, so there's that kind of defeat. But then there's grieving as the Gentiles, which is a show that's more external in the way in which we present our grief. So as we grieve, we grieve and we feel, but we also have hope. So if we were to look at the performative here, that it really is allowing our, our anxiousness, our concerns, our stress, as you feel stress, don't do it in such a way that you pretend you don't, or that you're overwhelmed, or that you're in self-pity, or, you know. All of this is, as you experience these emotions, Anxiety is real, and the reason that we have burdens, or that we, that we know we do, sorry, the reason that we know we have burdens is because we are called to share each other's burdens. So that's the other part I think is so important about the words of Paul, is that there is an understanding that burdens are real, and that's why we know we're not called to ignore them or minimize them. That's performative, right? But because we are part of a body and we're called to carry each other's burdens, which means that the burdens are real, as is the call to walk together. So it's not just this individual, don't be anxious. I cannot tell you how many times I read things and it's like just about me. I'm like, don't be anxious. In every situation, by prayer and petition, I need to, with Thanksgiving, present my request to God and I forget that we are the body, and that is how God, that was God's 
intention for the world to know who God is is through us. Which sometimes I'm like, was that your best plan? And yet we are the ones who extend the love of God imperfectly throughout the world. We get to reflect the heart of God, not just to people who might not have experienced the love and hope God offers, but to each other. So if I read this as an individual, I forget that it was written to a group of people. It was written to a community of faith. It was written to a fellowship. It was written to people who identify themselves as part of a body. We carry each other's burdens. It's not just about presenting my request and making sure I know where to go, but also helping the people around me connect to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that there's times when Jesus in me is weaker than Jesus in you. And so I need your experience with God to help me. Instead, we usually compare, right? Instead of, can you, can you help hold me right now? I know there's been times in my life that I have asked you all to pray for me because I told you I could not pray for myself. So as a community, we are rejoicing. As a community, we are experiencing peace. And I am not going to tell us what that looks like in the individual situations you're in and the communal situation that you're in. All I know is that there is a practice. There is always a practice. There is a practice individually. There is a practice in parenting and in marriage and in friendship and in work. And there is a practice as a church to present our request and ourselves to God. And that's the way in which we find that peace. So Paul then goes on to say in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, it's this practice, you know? I, I remember learning that I can't stop a negative thought or um, I'm trying to think, you know, like a, I want to throat punch that person thought. Okay, it like comes in, I used to be like, if I was really spiritual, I wouldn't have that thought. No, I might not be able to stop it, but I can decide how long it hangs out with me. You know, does it become my BFF? <laughs> and we text each other all the time and like we go to church together. Um, I can't stop the bird from flying over my head, but I don't have to like build it in a nest and be like, come on back anytime, right? So in, in that same way, we have a practice. What is true? What is loving? What is getting beyond just myself and my circumstances? What can I put into practice? Because it is as we practice these things that the God of peace will be with us. And Paul is saying this not outside of knowledge of what it is. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be content. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through Jesus who strengthens, right? We focus on the I can do anything instead of, again, it's always about connection. So my way of experiencing peace, my way of experiencing strength, my way of continuing to have vision of the hope is as I stay connected to Jesus. And that's also our call to stay connected to each other. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed listening.